Hello my little bookworms and welcome to Stories with a Nerd. Today we're reading The Wizards of Once by Cressida Cowell. I personally love this series and there isn't currently an audiobook that I found so I'm going to read this one first. It's a four book series and I really hope you'll enjoy it. So let's get into the prologue. Once there was magic. It was a long, long time ago in a British Isle so old that it did not know that it was the British Isles yet, and the magic lived in the dark forests. Perhaps you feel that you know what a dark forest looks like. Well, I can tell you right now that you don't. These were forests darker than you believe possible, darker than ink spots and darker than midnight, darker than space itself, and as twisted and tangled as a witch's heart. They were what is now known as the Wildwoods, and they stretched as far in every direction as you can possibly imagine, only stopping when they reached a sea. There were many types of humans living in the Wildwoods. The wizards, who were magic, and the warriors, who were not. The wizards had lived in the Wildwoods for as long as anyone could remember, and they were intending to live there forever, along with all the other magic things. Until the warriors came. The warriors invaded from across the seas, and though they had no magic, they brought a new weapon that they called iron, and iron was the only thing that magic could not work on. The warriors had iron swords, iron shields, iron armour, and even the horrifying magic of the witches was powerless against this metal. First, the warriors fought the witches and drove them into extinction in a long and terrible battle. Nobody cried for the witches, for witches were bad magic, the worst sort of magic, the kind of magic that tore wings from larks and killed for the fun and could end the world and everyone in it. But the warriors did not stop there. The warriors thought that just because some magic was bad, that meant that all magic was bad. So now the warriors were trying to get rid of the wizards too, and the ogres and the werewolves and the untidy quarrelling mess of good sprites and bad sprites that burned like little stars through the darkness, casting mischievous spells on each other, and the giants who moved slow and careful through the undergrowth, larger than mammoths and as peaceful as babies. The warriors had sworn that they would not rest until they had destroyed every last bit of magic in the whole dark forest, which they were chopping down as fast as they could with iron axes, to build their forts and their fields and their new modern world. This is the story of a young boy wizard and a young girl warrior who have been taught since birth to hate each other like poison. The story begins with the discovery of a gigantic black feather. Could it be that the wizards and the warriors have been so busy fighting each other that they have not noticed the return of an ancient evil? Could that feather really be the feather of a witch? You have now entered the Iron Warrior Empire. All magic is banned in this territory. No sprites, no giants, no rogue breaths, no snow cats, no werewolves, no green teeths, or any other magic creatures. No flying, no enchanted objects, no spelling, cursing, or charming, no magic whatsoever. And any wizards entering these lands may most unfortunately have their heads removed. By order of Her Majesty, Queen Sycorax, Iron Warrior Queen. character in this story who sees everything, knows everything. I will not tell you who I am. See if you can guess. The story begins here, and don't get lost. These woods are dangerous. Chapter 1. A Trap to Catch a Witch 
was a warm night for November, too warm a night for witches, or so the story said. Witches were supposed to be extinct, of course, but Tsar heard about the way that they stank, and he imagined he could smell that now in the quietness of the dark forest. A faint but definite stink of burning hair mixed with long-dead mice and a little kick of viper's venom. Once smelled, never forgotten. Tsar, spelt X-A-R, I don't know why the spelling is weird, was a wild young human boy who belonged to the wizard tribe. He was riding on the back of a giant snowcat in part of the forest so dark and mangled and tangled that it was known as the Badwoods. He should not have been there, for the Badwoods were warrior territory, and if the warriors were to catch him, well, what everyone said was that Zar would be killed on sight. Off with his head, as was the pleasant warrior custom. But Zar did not look even remotely worried. He was a cheerful scruff of a boy with a tremendous quiff of hair shooting upwards from his forehead as if it had accidentally come into contact with some invisible vertical hurricane. The snowcat he was riding was called King Cat, a noble creature which was a form of a lynx, far too dignified for his cheeky master. King Cat had shining paws so round they looked unreal, first so deep it was like powder snow, and such a rich silver-grey colour that it was almost blue. The snowcat ran swiftly, but softly through the forest, his black-tipped ears swivelling from side to side as he ran, and for he was scared, although too proud to show it. Only that very morning, Tsar's father, Rinkanzo of the Enchanter, King of Wizards, had reminded everyone that it was forbidden for any wizard to dare set one toe in the Badwoods. But Tsar was the most disobedient boy in the wizard kingdom in about four generations, and forbidding things only encouraged him. In the past week, Tsar had tied the beards of two of the eldest and most respectable wizards together when they were sleeping at a banquet. He had poured a love potion into the pig's feeding trough, so the pigs developed mad passionate crushes on Tsar's least favourite teacher, and followed him around wherever he went, making loud enthusiastic squealing and kissing noises. He had accidentally burned down the western trees in wizard camp. Most of these things hadn't been entirely intentional, exactly. Tsar had just got carried away in the heat of the moment. And yet none of these disobedient things was half as bad as what Tsar was doing right now. There was a large black raven flying above Tsar's head, "'This is a very bad idea indeed, Tsar,' said the raven. "'The talking raven was called Caliburn, and he would have been a handsome bird, "'but unfortunately it was his job to keep Tsar out of trouble, "'and the worry of this impossible mission meant his feathers kept falling out. "'It isn't really fair to lead your animals and sprites and young fellow wizards into all this danger.' "'As the son of the king enchanter, and a boy with a great deal of personal charisma, "'Tsar had a lot of followers.' A pack of five wolves, three snowcats, a bear, eight sprites, and an enormous giant called Crusher, and a small crowd of other wizard youngsters, all following Zara as if hypnotised, all shivering and scared and pretending not to be. "'Oh, you worry too much, Caliburn,' said Zara, pulling King Cat to a halt and jumping off his back. "'Look at this lovely, pretty little glade here, you see? Perfectly safe and exactly the same as the rest of the forest.' Tsar looked around with breezy satisfaction as if they'd stopped in a delightful woodland dell, filled with frolicking bunnies and baby deer, rather than a cold, eerie little clearing where the ewes leaned threateningly and the mistletoe dripped like warlock's tears. The other wizards drew their swords and the growling snowcats first stood up with fear to such an extent that they looked like furry puffballs. The wolves padded restlessly, trying to form a protective circle around their humans. Only the smaller sprites shared Tsar's enthusiasm, but that was because they were too young to know any better. I don't know if you've ever seen a sprite, so I'd better describe these ones to you. There were five larger sprites, all faintly resembling a human crossed with a fierce, elegant insect. 
When irritated or bored, which was quite often, they blinked on and off like stars, and purple smoke drifted out of their ears. They were so see-through that you could watch their hearts beating. Then there were three smaller, younger ones who, be- who, because they were not adult yet, were known as hairy fairies. Zar's favourite was an eager, slightly little stupid thing called Squeeze Juice. Oh, it's lovely, it's lovely, squeaks Squeeze Juice. It's the most tremongulously loveliest clearing I've ever seen. What's this fast and interesting flower? Let me guess, it's a buttercup, it's a daisy, it's a garangulum, it's a cauliflower. He flew into the upper branches of a particularly gloomy and sinister tree and perched on the edge of one of its fleshy flowers, which had ominous spikes on the end of its leaves and was in fact called sprite-eating hobtrap. The flower snapstruck with the briskness of a mousetrap, capturing poor little squeeze juice inside. Caliburn landed on Zar's shoulder and gave a heavy sigh. I don't like to say I told you so, said Caliburn, but we've only been in this perfectly safe little clearing in the bad woods for one and a half minutes, and you've already lost one of your followers to a carnivorous flower. Nonsense, scolded Zars good-naturedly. I haven't lost him. The whole point about being a leader. Whenever my followers get into trouble, I rescue them, because that's what a leader does. Zar climbed the tree, and two hundred feet up, swaying precariously on a couple of creaking twig-like bows, he took out his dagger and popped open the sprite-eating hobtrap to release a panting little squeeze juice in the nick of time. "'Eyes fine!' squeaked squeeze juice. "'Eyes fine! I can't feel my left leg, but eyes fine!' "'Don't worry, squeeze juice. That's just the hobtrap's digestive juices. "'The feeling will return in a couple of hours,' Zar called out as he dropped down from the tree. "'You see? I'm a great leader. Stick with me and you'll be fine.' And the wizard youngsters looked very thoughtful indeed. At that moment, Zar's older brother Luther came out of the shadows behind them, sitting astride a grey wolf, and followed by even more sprites and animals and young wizard followers than Zar himself. Zar stiffened because he hated his older brother Luther. Luther was a lot bigger than Zar. He was nearly as tall as his father, he was brilliant at magic, and he was good-looking and clever, and my goodness, didn't he know it. He was the smuggest smug wizard you could possibly imagine, and he often sneaked on Zar to get Zar into trouble. "'What are you doing here, Luther?' stormed Zar suspiciously. Oh, I just followed to see what my unbelievably stupid and pointless little thing my little baby brother was doing this time, drawled Luther. Great leaders don't like pointless expeditions, fumes are. We're here for a reason. It's none of your business, but... Zar considered telling Luther some elaborate lie about what he was doing, but he couldn't really resist showing off. We're going to catch ourselves a witch, boasted Zar proudly. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. This was the first time that Zara had mentioned to his followers the purpose of their expedition, and it was very unwelcome news indeed. A witch? The bear, the snowcats and the wolves went very still and began to shake. Even Ariel, the wildest and most unafraid of Zara's sprites, shot up into the air and momentarily disappeared. There are witches in this part of the Badwoods now, I know it, whispered Zara excitedly, as if a witch were a delightful sort of present he was offering everyone. There was a long silence, and then Luther and his wizard followers began to laugh. They laughed, and they laughed, and they laughed. Oh, come on, Zars, said Luther at last, once he got his breath back. Even you must know that witches have been extinct for centuries. Ah, yes, said Zar, but what if some of them survived, and they'd been hiding all this time? Look, here's what I found in this very clearing only yesterday. Out of his rucksack, he carefully took an absolutely gigantic black feather. It was huge, like the feather of a crow, but much, much larger. A soft black fading at the end to a glowing 
dark, shiny green, the colour of a mallard's head. It's a witch feather, whispered Tsar. Lotus smiled his most superior smile. That's just the feather of some big old bird, scoffed Lotus. Some giant crow. You get some weird things living in the bad woods. Tsar frowned and hung the feather from his belt. I've never seen a bird as big as this one must be, said Tsar grumpily. It's all nonsense, smiled Luther. Only a brainless fool like you wouldn't know that. Witches were destroyed forever. Caliburn flapped downwards and landed on King Cat's head. Forever is a long word, said the raven. You see, Tsar said triumphantly, Caliburn is a bird of omen who can see into the future and into the past and he doesn't think the witches are gone forever. All I know is, if witches were not to be extinct for some reason, you wouldn't want to go meeting one in a dark place, said Caliburn, shivering. What do you want a witch for, Tsar? I'm going to catch the witch, said Tsar, and remove its magic and use it for myself. There was another horrified silence. Eventually, Lotus spoke. That, little brother, is the worst plan I've ever heard in the whole history of plan making. You're just jealous you didn't think of it, said Tsar. I have a few questions, said Lotus. How are you going to catch the witch in the first place? That's what the net's for, said Tsar, taking a net out of his rucksack and holding it up. You can't fault his enthusiasm, at least. One of us will volunteer to be wounded ever so slightly, and then the blood will attract the witch. Oh, great, smiled Luther. Now you're going to wound one of your sad little followers, in a forest stuffed with raving werewolves and blood-sniffing ogre-breaths. Come on, you're completely crazy. This plan is as pathetic as you are. Tsar ignored him. And then I'll entangle the witch in this net when it attacks. Next question. Okay. Question two, said Luther. No living wizard has ever seen a witch, so how do you know what one looks like? Tsar opened his rucksack and took out a book, the size of a large atlas, entitled The Spelling Book. Every wizard is equipped with a spelling book given to them at birth. Tsar's was looking extremely worse for wear. One part of it was invisible. It accidentally got dropped in an invisibility potion. Another bit was burned so black you could barely read it. This happened when Tsar set the wizard camp on fire. And many of the pages were loose and dropping out all over the place. Too many adventures to go into here. Tsar opened the book to the contents page, which had the 26 letters of the alphabet written on it in very large gold script. Tsar spelled out witches by tapping on each letter in turn, and then were... The book turned its own pages, which seemed to go on forever and ever, and the chapters in front turning invisible as the book rifled through the rest of them like an endless pack of cards, until eventually they stopped at the right place. That's weird. It doesn't say what they look like, but they're green, I think, said Tsar. Someone else thought witches could turn invisible and they had acid blood, other than that they squirted that blood through their eyes. I'm sure we'll recognise one when we see it, said Zara impatiently, shutting the spelling book. They're supposed to be pretty horrible, aren't they? Awesomely horrible, said Caliburn gravely. The most terrifying creatures that ever walked this earth. So, even if you do catch this witch, how will you persuade it to part with its magic, asked Lothar. I'm imagining that invisible green acid blood squirting witches are the most terrifying creatures that ever walked this earth. will not give up their magic if you ask them pretty please. Aha, said Zara craftily. I've thought of that. With a grand flourish, he put on some gloves, reached into his rucksack, and took out a small saucepan. Silence again. Do you realise that's a saucepan? said Luther. This is no ordinary saucepan, said Tsar cunningly. And then he took a deep breath before he made his shocking announcement. This particular saucepan is made out of iron.
Most of the wizards took a horrified step backwards. The sprites let out shrieks of alarm. Luther alone refused to be impressed. In fact, he laughed so hard that Zar thought he might fall over. This is too good. You're going to find a witch with a saucepan, sneered Luther. You're no great leader, Zar. You're a liar and a loser. Our father is ashamed of you, and now I know why you're so keen to steal magic from a witch. There's a spelling competition at the winter celebration tonight, and you can't do magic. Zar can't do magic, taunted Luther. Zar turned red with em- embarrassment, then white with anger. The fact that he couldn't do magic yet was one of those hidden sores that he didn't want anyone else to see. Wizard children were not born magic. Their magic came in when they were about twelve. Zar was thirteen, and his magic had still not come in. Zar had tried doing magic, for countless hours he tried, really simple things like moving stuff with his mind, but it was as if he had a, if it was a muscle he really didn't have. Relax, everyone said. Relax, it will happen. But it's like trying to move something with arms that weren't there. And recently he'd been beginning to worry. What if it never happened? It was an unlikely calamity, but what a disgrace to the whole family it would be if a child had been born to the king enchanter who had no magic. The thought of it made him feel a little sick. Poor little baby Zar, crooned Luther cruelly. Thinks he's such a big boy, but can't do any magic whatsoever. My magic will come in, hissed Zar. But in the meantime, I swear, he spat, eyes so small with anger that he could barely see out of them. I swear I'm going to catch a witch, and I will squeeze so much magic out of that witch, Luther, that I will blast you out of existence. Oh, yeah, grinned Luther. He reached into his rucksack and took out one of his staffs. A wizard's staff was about the size of a walking stick, and wizards concentrated magic through them. Your spelling won't work on me when I'm carrying iron, roared Zara, rushing forward to hit Luther with the saucepan, which was perfectly true, but most unfortunately, in his charge forward, Zar tripped over a long tangle of bramble, and his gloved hands lost their grip on the saucepan, and it went sailing over Luther's head and into the undergrowth. Luther then pointed his staff at Zar and whispered the word of his spell under his breath. Luther's body trembled as the magic quivered through him and channeled out of his hand into the staff, which concentrated it into one fierce, hot bolt of magic that blasted out of the end of the staff, hitting Zar on the legs. Zar stopped mid-charge, his feet stuck to the ground by Luther's spell. Ha 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 laughed Luther's followers. Remove the spell, shouted Zar, struggling to shift his feet, but it was as if they had turned to lead. No, I don't think I will, smiled Luther. Zar lost his temper. He snapped his fingers. Row! Before anyone could blink or think, King Cat launched himself at Luther. His huge jaws agape, a sixty stone of silvery grey killing machine. Screaming in terror, Luther was pinned up against a tree trunk, looking aghast at the great cat's nightmare face, inches away from his own, and what felt like four kitchen knives sinking into his shoulder. They had already drawn blood. None of Luther's own sprites or animals had time to move or protect him. One more click of my fingers, spat Zar, and King Cat will take off your head. Cheat, panted Luther. You cheated. You're not supposed to use your animals to attack a fellow wizard. Remove the spell, shouted Zar. Luther was now every bit as angry as Zar himself, but what could he do? He pointed his staff at Zar, removed the spell so Zar's feet could move, and then Zar made a signal to King Cat to let Luther go. You're mad, a lunatic, raged Luther as King Cat dropped him, and Luther gazed in astonishment at the four neat bleeding puncture wounds in his shoulder. Your animal has bitten me. If you dare to enter that spelling competition, I'm going to annihilate you. Luther turned to Zar's followers. Who wants to come with me 
rather than staying with a silly little madman in this stupid witch trap, shouted Luther. One by one, Zar's followers backed away from Zar and towards Luther, and climbed on board their wolves or snowcats, muttering things like, Sorry, Zar, this is a bit too crazy, even for you. And if witches aren't extinct, they are bad magic, Zar. We shouldn't be here. You see, crowed Luther triumphantly, a great leader has to have someone to lead, and no one who wants to follow a magicless lunatic. Good luck with meeting your witch, loser boy. And then Luther rode away on the back of his wolf, followed by most of the other wizards. Cowards, roared Zar, nearly crying, he was so angry. He ran into the undergrowth to retrieve the saucepan, and then shook his fist at their departing bags. We'll show you, we'll catch a witch, and then we'll take magic from it, and then we'll be so magic that we'll fly without wings. Zar turned with a sigh to the bedraggled remains of his followers. Why did Luther always have to spoil everything? Zar had hardly anyone left now, only three young wizards whose magic hadn't come in either. A girl, a girl called Heliotrope and two boys, Rush and Darkish, a large lad with even larger ears, who had reached the age of 17 without showing any signs of magic whatsoever, and who was slightly on the dim side. Bother, he's left me with the losers, tutted Zar. Darkish, you're the biggest, so you need to do the most digging, he ordered. Rush, I'm afraid we're going to have to wound you a little to tempt the witch into the trap, and if anything goes wrong... I thought you said this mission was completely safe, said Rush suspiciously. Well, nothing is entirely safe, Zabatrak quickly. Life is dangerous, isn't it? After all, you could get killed just climbing a tree like I nearly was just now. This is not climbing a tree, spluttered Caliburn from above as the three young wizards began to obey Zar's orders. This is intentionally trespassing on warrior territory, trying to set a trap for the scariest life form that has ever walked on this planet. Caliburn sighed. Nobody was going to listen to him. Caliburn perched rigid on the tree branch with his head under his wing, as if, for as long as he buried his head under there, if he couldn't see the future, the future might not happen. But of course the old bird knew that that would not work. Chapter 2 A Warrior Called Wish Meanwhile, a stout and terrified warrior pony, with two young warriors sitting on its back, had set out secretly from Iron Warrior Fort under the cover of darkness. Warriors were not supposed to leave the fort after nightfall, for the warriors were petrified of the magic that was out in the forest. Iron Warrior Fort was the largest hill fort that you could possibly imagine, with thirteen watchtowers and encircled by seven great ditches cut into the hill. How scared these warriors must be of everything, that is magic, to have built such a mighty fort, white as bone, with little slit windows like the blink of a malevolent cat. But nonetheless, this particular worry pony had managed to sneak out without the nervous sentries that clanked their way along the fort walls spotting it, and perhaps, just perhaps, those sentries were right to be anxiously straining into their eyes at the endless green wilderness that surrounded and engulfed them, watching, peering, struggling to see what might be out there, for something bad was watching the pony from high up in the treetops. It's too early to tell what that something was. Many bad things live in the bad woods. It could have been a cat monster. Could have been a werewolf. Could have been a roger. Rogers are a bit like ogres, but a lot more scary. Time to tell what it was. But it wasn't surprising that the pony had caught the something's attention. For the pony was cantering far too noisily through the undergrowth, and bumping along on its back was a skinny little warrior princess and her assistant bodyguard, Bodkin. They were wearing red cloaks over their armour, which made them shine out like stars in the dark green forest. 
short of wearing a big archery target on the top of their heads, or a sign saying, Eat me, O hungry monsters of the bad woods, nothing could have really made them stand out more. The princess had a very long and regal name, but everybody called her Wish. The warrior princesses, of course, ought to be impressively tall and absolutely terrifying, like Wish's mother, Queen Sycorax. But Wish was neither scary nor large. She had a curious little face that was rather too interested in the world around her, and hair that stuck out too wispily, as if she'd accidentally hit some unnoticed bit of static electricity. A black patch covered her left eye. She seemed to be searching for something with the other. "'We're not supposed to come out here on our own in the day, let alone in the night time,' said Bodkin, the assistant bodyguard, looking nervously over his shoulder. Bodkin wasn't the regular bodyguard of this weird little princess. Her proper bodyguard had fallen ill with a nasty autumn cold. Bodkin had landed the highly sought-after role as an understudy for a royal bodyguard, even though he was only 13 years old because he was very studious and he had come out top of his class in the advanced arts of bodyguarding exams. However, this was the first time he had done the actual job and he was finding it a good deal harder than he thought it would be. The princess wouldn't do what she was told, for starters, and although he studied very hard, to be very honest, Bodkin didn't really like fighting very much, and the thought that he might actually be in a real situation where there was a possibility of violence was making him feel a little bit sick. There could be werewolves or cat monsters or giants out here, said Bodkin, and then there's the bears and the jaguars and the wizards and the rogue breaths, and even dwarves can get nasty when they're hunting in packs. Oh, don't be so gloomy, Bodkin, replied the princess. We'll go back as soon as we find my pet. This is all your fault anyway. You frightened him when you said you'd report him to my mother, so he completely panicked and ran away. I was only trying to stop you from getting in any more trouble, said Bodkin. You're not allowed pets. They're against the warrior rules. Bodkin was a boy who really believed in the rules. He was hoping to work up his way from being an assistant bodyguard to a household defender, and you didn't do that by breaking any rules. And you're most particularly not allowed this kind of pet. You must be terrified, worried Wish. We couldn't possibly leave him running all on his own in the terrors of the Badwoods. All alone and scared, he might be chased off by ra- raving fan mouths or something. Aha, she said with triumphant relief. There he is. She hauled on the pony's reins to bring him to a halt, picks up something that was scurrying through the undergrowth. Thank goodness, she stroked whatever it was gently and made soothing noises as if to say, don't worry, it's fine, you're safe now, you're with me. The sort of noises that might calm a petrified dog or cat or rabbit that had been running around, all scared and alone through the bad woods after the setting of an autumn sun. This pet was not a dog or a cat or even a rabbit. That pet of yours is a spoon! objected Bodkin. The assistant bodyguard was right. The pet was, indeed, a large iron dinner spoon. So he is, said Wish, as if she'd only just noticed, getting back up on the pony and drying off the spoon with the end of her sleeve. And that spoon is alive, princess. He's alive, said Bodkin, giving a little shiver as horror as he looked at the spoon. Which means that it is an entirely banned magic enchanted object. Haven't you seen the signs all over the warrior fort? Absolutely no magic, no enchanted objects, no animals indoors. All magic must be reported to a higher authority so that reports can be made and the magic got rid of. I'm not sure he's magic exactly, said Wish hopefully. He's just a little bendy. Of course he's magic, snapped Bodkin. Ordinary spoons do not jump up and down to get you to stroke them. Ordinary spoons just lie quietly and feed you your dinner. Look at this one, he's bowing to me. So he is, said Wish proudly. Isn't that clever? Bodkin breathed very heavily indeed, 
This is not clever. This is breaking so many rules, it's difficult to know where to begin. Where did you find this spoon? He just turned up in my room one day like a wild mouse or something. So I fed him some milk and he's been hanging out with me ever since. Which was nice because before he came, I was a bit lonely. Haven't you ever been lonely, Bodkin? Well, I have actually, admitted Bodkin. Ever since I did so well in the exams and got appointed your personal assistant bodyguard, all the other assistant bodyguards said I got above myself and now they're not talking to me and... Hang on a second. That's not the point. The point is, said Bodkin, if an enchanted object turns up unexpectedly in a warrior fort, you really ought to tell your mother, Queen Sycorax, immediately so she can remove his magic, not adopt him as your pet. At the mention of Queen Sycorax's name, the spoon swayed from side to side as if terror-stricken and then hopped into Wish's waistcoat, hiding behind her body armour so that the only bowl that was his face staring out lit up with a strange glowing magic light. Look, you've scared him again, Wish replied. The thing is, I don't think he wants his magic removed. It's a completely painless process, said Bodkin. But he doesn't want to do it, said Wish. All right then, said Bodkin, folding his arms determinedly. In which case, you have to let the spoon go back into the wild. He belongs out here in this scary jungle with all the other monsters and magic things. These are his people. I'm putting my foot down, princess. You absolutely cannot take him back into the iron fort with you. You cannot keep the spoon as your pet. It's against the rules. And if you get in the most terrible trouble, if anyone finds out. Wish looked very sad indeed. But I kind of identify with the spoon because he's like me. And he doesn't fit in with all the other spoons. He doesn't fit in with all the other spoons because he's alive, princess. He's alive, interrupted Bodkin. And all the other warriors ignore me. Wish carried on. You and this spoon are my only two friends. If I lose the spoon, that just leaves you. Well, technically speaking, I can't be your friend either because you are a princess and I am a servant and those are the rules, explained Bodkin. In which case, if I let the spoon go, I will be losing my only friend, said Wish. Okay, Wish. Bodkin was so upset they forgot to call a princess. It was time for some stern words. I like you. I know you mean well, but let's face it. The reason you haven't got any friends is you're a bit weird and weird doesn't go down well in a warrior fort. You need to try and be more normal and the first step to being normal is to get rid of the enchanted spoon. Wish tried one last desperate argument. But my mother has enchanted objects herself. What about this then? To Bodkin's horror, Wish drew a large ornamental sword from her scabbard. It wasn't like an ordinary sword. It had a dirty old-fashioned hilt and even beneath the greenish grime that covered it, you could see that it was beautifully designed, with intertwining leaves and mistletoe and the leaves of other sacred twi- trees twisting all over it. On one side of the blade was carved these words in very fancy, curly, old-fashioned script. Once there were witches, and then witch turned the blade over, and the other side was engraved with, But I killed them. Where did you get that sword? said Bodkin in awed tones. Well, it was quite odd, actually. I found it lying in the main courtyard yesterday afternoon, and it didn't seem to belong to anyone, so I picked it up. Didn't you hear the announcement at breakfast this morning about how a very valuable sword had gone missing from your mother's dungeons? Gasped Bodkin. Didn't you guess that it might be this sword? Didn't you wonder if picking things up that don't belong to you might be stealing? Yes, I did, admitted Wish, stroking the sword longingly, but I was just going to hang on to it for a while longer, pretending it was mine. I'm so ordinary and it's so special and wouldn't it be lovely to own something so special, don't you think? 
No, I don't think. Thinking is dangerous. The defences of the royal household are turning the fort upside down looking for this sword, and you've stolen it, goggled Bodkin. I haven't stolen it. I've only borrowed it. I was just about to give it back, but then you frightened the spoon, and I thought we might need something special to protect us if we were going into the bad woods on our own. I have a very strong feeling that it might be an enchanted sword, Edward wished triumphantly. Even my mother has enchanted objects, which means they must be all right. Your scary mother isn't keeping that sword as a pet, cried Bodkin, waving his long, thin arms around. You don't keep pets in dungeons. She's locked it up in the dungeons to keep it safe. Wish looked at the sword in a slightly worried way, as if it was only just occurring to her. Oh, yes, now I come to think of it. You could be right about that. It did seem kind of out of character for my mother. She doesn't really like anything magic, does she? Where have you been living for the past 13 years, cried Bodkin. There are whopping great signs up all over the fort. You can't have missed them. Your mother loathes magic. She hates the magic. She has sworn to never rest until she has rid the entire forest of anything magic at all. Which furrowed her brow. Yes, I have to say I don't really understand that. Surely, just because some magic is bad, it doesn't mean that all magic is bad? You're not supposed to understand, screeched Bodkin. You're a warrior. You're not supposed to be asking questions. It's very simple. You're supposed to be obeying the warrior rules. Wish suddenly looked very dejected. The spoon was now standing on the top of her head, drooped. Bother. You're right, said Wish sadly. I've messed up again, haven't I, Bodkin? You most certainly have, said Bodkin. And then he admitted to himself hurriedly. Your Highness, from the excitement of the situation, he had forgotten about the warrior rules about how to correctly address royalty. This was the problem with Wish. Whenever you spend any time with her, you find yourself breaking rules without even realising it. If my mother finds out about this, she's going to be hopping mad, isn't she? Said Wish, even sadder still. Absolutely hopping, agreed Bodkin, giving a little shiver at the thought of it. I wish I was normal like everybody else, said Wish. What can I do to put everything right again? Bodkin gave a sigh of relief, for it looked like at last the princess was seeing sense. Okay, don't be sad. All is not lost, he said, giving Wish a little pat on the shoulder to cheer up. You didn't mean to do the wrong thing, but now you need to release this spoon into the wild. Right now, and take the sword back to the fort immediately. And you have to stop doing things like this and start behaving like a normal warrior princess. And hang on, what was that? There was a sudden noise above them, like the snapping of a twig when something brushes up against it. They had been so busy arguing that they had forgotten that they were not in the safety of the Iron Warrior Fort, about to tuck into a splendid dinner. The warriors were very keen on their food. They were all alone in the bad woods after dark, and for the first time they realised they were being watched. I mentioned, did I not, at the beginning of this chapter, that something bad was watching them, quiet and dangerous up in the treetops. A cold feeling came over the back of Wish's neck, where the hairs pricked up like the quills on a hedgehog. She looked all around at the black silent trees, the branches twisting, gnarled like the knobbliest of goblins' fingers. She looked up, but she could not see anything, only perhaps a certain darkening and a shimmer thickening of the air above them, as if the air was choked with something awful, as indeed it was. And the coldness raiding out of her heart of that shining destiny was a coldness she had never felt before, colder than the coldest depths of the northern ocean, Colder than icicles, colder than polar caps, colder than even death itself. The freezing mist of the wildwood's ancient past had crept under Wish's armour and sank like death into her bones. Was it Wish's imagination, 
or did the very air above them seem to be grinning? Wish put on her helmet. The spoon stood straight up on top of Wish's head and sniffed the air around them. Suddenly, he went rigid, as if sensing something terrible, and dived down into Wish's armour to hide. Run, pony, run, squealed Wish, and the exhausted little pony started violently and broke into a shambling, terrified, wobbling gallop. Anybody watching would have thought that they were mad, for it looked like they were running away from nothing at all, but there was definitely something very odd going on. Wish and Bodkin could see nothing above them except for dark sky, stars and trees, but something about the way the tree branches were moving suggested that an invisible presence was hurtling against them, and the air rushing above them was so cold that it burned the top of Wish's forehead, and as the pony galloped faster and faster, the wind blowing directly behind them began to make an odd noise, like no wind that Wish had ever heard before. Now you see, Bodkin, aren't you glad that I brought the sword with me? I thought we might need it, panted Wish, trying not to panic. Glad? Glad? We could be sitting right now in front of our dinner, safely in the dining room in the warrior fort, and I think today it was going to be deer burgers, which is my favourite, and this pony is going in the wrong direction, flat Bodkin. The fort is the other way. But whatever it was that was chasing them didn't want to go back to the fort, so it was chasing them further and further into the redwoods. Does anyone know we're out here? cried Bodkin, who had drawn his bow and was shooting desperate arrows up, even though he couldn't see, and he was a terrible shot. Will they send out search parties? I'm afraid not, said Wish, squinting upwards, trying to work out what was pursuing them. Or not till the morning, anyway. I told my mother I was going to bed with an early headache. Brilliant, said Bodkin. Brilliant. As it happens, I think I can feel a bit of a headache coming on myself. Don't worry, Princess. You mustn't worry. I'm here to protect you. Wish shut the spoon and whatever was following them. She may have been a somewhat weird warrior princess, but she certainly had courage. You better not follow us where whatever you are, shouted Wish at the terrifying screeching nothingness, for we are armed with an enchanted spoon. The sword, Princess, muttered Bobkin through white lips. The sword sounds more scary. And a sword, shouted Wish, waving the sword in her right hand with the spoon in her left. A sword so dangerous it was locked in my mother's dungeons. But if that, if anything, seemed to encourage whatever it was following them even more, for the wind above gave a hungry whine and rushed after them even faster. Never fear, princess, cried Bodkin, shaking so much with anxiety that he could barely load his bow. This is a bad situation, but I will save you, for as a personal assistant bodyguard to the princess, I have been trained in the most advanced arts of bodyguarding. Unfortunately, Bodkin discovered in those desperate moments that he had a terrible disadvantage as a potential bodyguard. He had a medical condition that caused him to fall asleep in situations of extreme danger. He had barely said the last words of that brave speech before he collapsed on the princess's shoulder, snoring loudly. Bodkin, shrieked the princess, what are you doing? Snore. Snore. Bodkin, shrieked Wish. Wake up now. Bodkin woke up with a start, mumbling, where, what, how? The bad woods, panted the princess. Being chased, something terrible, advanced arts of bodyguarding. Oh yes, I've been carefully trained for exactly these sorts of life or death emergencies, cried Bodkin, fitting another arrow in his bow and unfortunately falling asleep at the moment of aiming it, so that he tipped forward and accidentally shot the poor pony in the hindquarters. The pony squealed protestingly as the arrow grazed his bottom and then ran on in wild desperation through the pitch-dark forest. Wish's heart was beating fast like a rabbit's, and she didn't even notice when the brambles shredded her clothes to ribbons and tore long, painful scratches into her legs. The pony came up upon an ice-cold stream, 
and forced his way through the briars and splashed down into it, though the cold of the water burned them all like fire, in the hope that whatever was following them would be put off the scent. The pony clambered out the other side and ran on through the darkness. Oh, murmuring mistletoe, thought Wish in terror, I should never have done this. Magic is banned for a reason, and warriors are not allowed out after dark for a reason. Iron warrior fort is built like it is for a reason. She could feel her heart beating so hard it felt like any moment it would break out of her chest. Faster, faster, urged Wish, so choked with panic she could barely breathe. The pony galloped into a sudden clearing in the forest. The whining of this strange wind had an edge to it now, like the painful screech of talk on the stone, a sound that grew louder as if building up to attack. Louder and louder the noise grew. There was an extraordinary noise, as if the very air itself was being torn apart like a giant piece of paper. Terrified, Wish turned her face upward to confront the attack with a sword drawn. There was a shout from a human voice somewhere behind her, and suddenly everything happened very quickly. Okay, I think we're going to stop there for today. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you in my next episode, which will begin with the chapter three, The Witch Feather Begins to Glow. Thank you, see you next time.